0: Hi, I'm Christine and I'm Alan we'd like to thank you for tuning into our discussion this week
1: our hope is that we'll share some information that you will find helpful
0: so now we invite you to join us as we together
1: listen, listen for, for the, the
0: word. word hi everyone welcome to our podcast today we are in Matthew, now chapter 11, verses 16 through 30, and I do uh, want to tell you yet again, we have to have context to make sense of this one. It's, it's, our, it's our theme.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I actually, you know, I'm putting together um, more verses than the lectionary has. Um, the lectionary... Oh, well, really... it's
0: here. It's 16 through 20 and 25 through 30.
1: Yeah, the lectionary is 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 takes these two segments out of the chapter, but I really you have think to have them
0: in there. It just doesn't make sense. And yeah. I looked at that too, and like
1: you have to have the context to make sense out of it. And part of the problem is we dealt with this the third week of Advent, also because the focus was on John the Baptist mm-hmm, at that that's point. Right. Yeah, that's right. So. Um, Um, you know, I think they're trying to piecemeal it a little bit that way, but it doesn't really work. So, you know, one of the, one of the parts of the context I want to recall is that as we mentioned at the outset of year A, Matthew's gospel presents us with a unique perspective, and that is that the words of the Messiah precede and validate the deeds of the Messiah. And so, Uh, You know, as we pointed out back back then, Matthew's account of Jesus' public ministry begins not with his actions, but rather with the Sermon on the Mount, and yet we have to recognize that in Matthew there's kind of a mutual relationship between Jesus' words and deeds, and so the words take precedence in Matthew's gospel, but the deeds sort of actualize Mm -hmm. the words and both together constitute the good news of the kingdom. Mm. Both the words and the deeds constitute the good news Mm. of the kingdom. So it's not only the word, the, the, the good news that's proclaimed, but also it's the good news that's enacted. Right. And we see this reflected in the way Matthew constructs this chapter. You know, after Matthew concludes the missionary discourse by telling us that Jesus continued his ministry in Matthew 11, 1, he introduces the question John the Baptist was raising after seeing the deeds mm-hmm. of the Messiah. Now, if you're following right. in the revised, New Revised Standard Version, it translates it, what the messiah was doing and unfortunately there are a number of translations that that follow that pattern um but um the problem is um there's a parallelism between the deeds of the messiah in verse 2 and the deeds of wisdom in verse 19 Mm -hmm. and i think we're meant to see that that's part of the composition of this passage i got it and so i really think we should we should see we should not translate it what the messiah is doing i think it should be Rendered The deeds of the Messiah. And, you know, for me, whenever I run into something like this in a passage I'm preaching on, I will actually pick a version that I think better, better uh, represents, you know, the, the, the gist of the passage. If it's not the RSV, well, and it seems like RSV, yeah. when
0: Matthew composed this, that that parallelism, first of all, if we're working in a Greek, we're going to see that mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. you know, and and even even beginners in Greek are going to recognize that, yeah. and obviously Matthew chose to do his this.
1: audience would hear that, mm-hmm. you know, and so um, I I think it's unfortunate when the English translators obscure those kinds of cues. I do
0: too. You know I do that too. That so who who does it right?
1: Yeah. Well, um, the NIV does it right. Okay. The, the RSV does it right and okay. the English standard version does it right and so you know oftentimes i would pick one of those translations to read
0: mm-hmm. the scripture
1: in in worship even though we typically do the new RSV right. i i you know i i think it's important for people to hear that kind of stuff in english i do too yeah. i
0: do too I, I i i don't know have you ever you know basically used the new revised standard but changed just mm-hmm. those I have those. I've done couple that too. Portions too. If
1: I can't find a, a translation that will adequately represent the Greek text, I will actually change um, the wording in the scripture reading to reflect what I think is the best understanding of the Greek text. Huh. Yeah. So nice. Yeah. Okay. So the question John asked then is, "Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another?" And so the question is about Jesus. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, right. it's a matter of Jesus' identity. And Jesus answers, as we recall, with a combination of allusions to Isaiah, especially Isaiah 35, 5, and 6 about the things he was doing and pronounces a beatitude on those who do not stumble over the offense of a Messiah who came in meekness, proclaiming and enacting a kingdom of God in terms of acceptance and mercy for those who were undesirable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in a very real sense, then, this chapter is about the response To the deeds of the Messiah, as Mm -hmm. outlined in Matthew 8 to 10. So the deeds are outlined in Matthew 8 to 10, including the cleansing of a leper, Mm -hmm. the healing of a paralytic, the raising of the leader's daughter from the dead, the healing of the blind man, and the work that the 12, and by extension, as we saw earlier, Matthew's entire community were doing to carry out Jesus' Mm -hmm. deeds. So I think the problem was that John the Baptist could not accept the deeds of the Messiah because Jesus wasn't carrying out the kind of ministry of sifting and judgment that John had envisioned. You know, if we recall the section where where John talks about, you know, he calls the people to baptism. Mm-hmm. You know, he's telling them, you know, um, that the the axe is laid at the root of the trees, and 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 you know, whatever does not bear fruit is going to be cast into the fire. He has this kind of judgment perspective on what is what is to come, and Jesus comes, you know, basically offering acceptance and. And forgiveness to you know, and welcome to tax collectors and sinners like right. Matthew, right? And, right,
0: right, right. And
1: so, um, I think John had a hard time with that. But we see that we see more than that in our lesson for today. It's also about the response of the crowds to both Jesus right. and John, and they couldn't accept. John any more than they could accept Jesus. Mm -hmm. John was too strict for them, and Jesus was too lax. And, you know, Jesus also speaks about how even the residents of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, which were the cities of Galilee, in whose presence he had lived out Mm -hmm. the mighty acts of the dawning of the kingdom of God, as Boring puts it Mm -hmm. in his commentary, uh, they could not accept his miracles. Now, one of the things, again, the Greek text says dunamis, And the plural can be translated deeds of power, as it is in the new RSV. But again, I think that confuses things with the deeds of the Messiah and the deeds of wisdom in this chapter. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to be sensitive to those kinds of concerns when we're translating.
0: Well, and and the reality is so many people aren't going to be looking at the Greek, honestly, Mm -hmm. right? So then they're not (laughs) going to get the depth, Mm -hmm. Um, and they're going to be confused. And and I found that... um, I found that when looking at this passage, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the brain is just trying to make sense of it all. Right. And I think had, it had these translations, it'd be clear. I,
1: I think so too. And so I would, I would, I would say basically they would, you know, if the, if the miracles done in you were done in these other places, they would have repented long ago. That would mm-hmm. have been a better translation. Mm-hmm. But despite the fact that both Jesus' words and deeds came with authority and that they validated one another you know, Jesus' words came with authority, Jesus' deeds came with authority, and they were mutually sort of confirming one another based on you know from matthew's theological perspective the response to his deeds was just as mixed as the response to his words and you may recall you know in the sermon on the mount matthew concludes with this with this uh comparison of those who build on the rock versus those who build on the sand anticipating the fact that there are going to be some who hear jesus words and do them and there are going to be some who hear jesus words and and Mm -hmm. ignore them exactly And so, as Davies and Allison put it, then this chapter in in Matthew 11 looks back on the whole of Jesus' public ministry up to that point, including the Sermon on the Mount, including the deeds of power that he had done or the miracles that he had done, and including, actually, the extension of his ministry through the apostles in in the missionary discourse.
0: So, this... This is kind of cool, actually. So this kind of sets us up for today. Yes,
1: yes. And so it's within that context, then, that we can begin to make sense out of our selections for our gospel lesson this week. Um, In response to Jesus' question, Jesus... John, in response to John's question, Jesus addresses the crowds and tell them that John tells them that John was indeed the Elijah who was to come to prepare the way for him. And yet they did not respond to John any more than they Mm -hmm. did to Jesus. And it's kind of interesting here because Matthew's gospel seems to portray in this passage, both John's and Jesus ministries as having failed in a sense.
0: I I picked up on that too. Yeah. 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 (laughs) But it's, it's kind of hard when you read it to really convince yourself that's what you just read right you know what right, I mean <laughs>
1: right and so we see it in the way Jesus characterizes the crowds he says to what will I compare this generation it is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another we played the flute for you and you did not dance we wailed and you did not mourn and that's Matthew eleven sixteen through 17 and you know this is in essence the same thing as what we find in luke's mm-hmm. Gospel in luke seven thirty one through thirty five, although there are some significant differences in the wording in the Greek, which suggest perhaps that Matthew and Luke may have had slightly differing versions of q. And that's um, uh, um, a proposal that Davies and Allison. Um, um, that sug- uh, I think that they 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 go along with that. You know there there are people who think that there were you, who, multiple who, versions. Yeah, Q. there are people there are people in Jesus historical Jesus studies and in gospel origins who think I, that there may have been multiple versions I, of Q. I
0: I could see that, and yet I keep wondering if there's multiple versions of Q that would have more opportunities as for us to actually have a copy of it, which we do not. <laughs> uh, yeah. and so it. I keep just waiting for this copy to to, to surface. Well,
1: you and the rest of the world, basically. (laughs) Um, I don't think it's ever going to happen. But, you know, never say never. I mean, with the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, and the Nakamadi codices, you know, we had some amazing additions to our knowledge of of the documentary history of that era. Exactly,
0: yeah. and you know, that seems like, oh, well, we found Dead Sea Scrolls. That was a long time ago. It really wasn't that no, long ago. No, 1948, <laughs> and it was so, not long
1: after that that the Nag Hammadi Codices exactly. were discovered, and that's where we really had, uh, the, really, the the first um, um, full text of the Gospel of Thomas.
0: Exactly, so, so it could happen, but I, I again, when I hear, oh, well, there's multiple versions, then I'm thinking, well, then why haven't we found mm-hmm, one of them mm-hmm, yet, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah we'll keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> and the
1: reason the reason I think what they're trying to make sense of is, you know, there's sometimes as we've seen before where Matthew and Luke agree, you know, extensively right. word for word verbatim in Greek, mm-hmm. which is uh, hard to explain without a written source. Yeah. And then there're some places like this where they agree in the substance, but the wording in Greek is different. Mm-hmm. So why why does the substance agree but right. they 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 have different words? They, they make yeah. different word and choices. And so
0: it's either what they said, there's more than one version of Q, mm-hmm. or Matthew changed the wording. Some editing and, going on. Yeah. Right. One or the other. Right. Right.
1: Right. right. Now, you might also expect that Jesus statement was a quotation, but it does not refer to any clear parallel. A lot of people refer to Ecclesiastes Mm. 3, 4, you know, there's a time to dance and a time Mm. to mourn and all that kind of thing. But I don't really think that's a clear parallel. Davies and Allison think that we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn was a proverb in the ancient world. Yeah, yeah. Now, while there have been debates about how precisely to understand this proverb, it seems that the most straightforward interpretation is that John came demanding repentance, but the people wanted him to dance, while Jesus came offering the joy of acceptance to all, but the people wanted him to mourn, that is, they wanted him to fast and exclude mm-hmm. those who were unclean. Mm-hmm. And this conforms with Jesus' elaboration in verses 18 through 19. Yeah. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, we should note at the outset that there's nothing in the gospel tradition to indicate that John was accused of having a demon. We don't have any record of that, but it makes sense, given the fact that that charge was brought against Jesus, right? Right. Now, This is something, too, we're familiar with the fact that Jesus was um, accused of being a glutton and a drunkard, but we may not be familiar with the fact that this was more than just an insult. In Deuteronomy 21.20, the accusation of being a glutton and a drunkard was the prescribed indictment that parents were to bring to the local elders to have a rebellious son stoned to death
0: so <laughs> interesting yeah yeah that one could be missed oh. yeah
1: and so so if you look at it from that perspective this is more than just an insult this is you know kind of an implicit claim that he should be stoned to death
0: you know i'm 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 reading into this i'm sure but i keep looking at the response to john and jesus as really being one of we don't want to change mm-hmm. we don't want things to change mm-hmm. we have people that are challenging the status quo yeah. no i would agree and with so that. Yeah. yeah we're going to we're going to say awful things about John. We're going to say awful things about Jesus yeah. because we yeah. don't want to change.
1: Yeah. Well, and they both wound up executed.
0: Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Because, yeah. because exactly. they,
1: they, they were, they were, um, they were upsetting talent. the status yeah. quo. Yeah. Yeah. So then Jesus final statement in verse 19, wisdom is vindicated by our deeds. is one that has vo- provoked a great deal of discussion. Uh, when compared with Luke mm-hmm. seven twenty. wisdom is vindicated by all her children, Um, It seems clear that Matthew shifts the focus of the saying more directly onto Jesus. Mm -hmm. Wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. And, you know, especially in this context, Mm -hmm. we started this, you know, chapter 11 with John seeing the deeds of the Messiah. And so here we have wisdom's deeds, which seems to be a a connection, you know, that Mm -hmm. making a connection Mm -hmm. between Jesus and wisdom. Yes, yes. And and, and so, so basically this raises the possibility of a wisdom Christology where mm-hmm. Jesus is portrayed as acting in line with the wisdom mm-hmm. tradition in the Hebrew Bible or perhaps even more so as embodying the transcendent and perhaps also divine wisdom. Mm-hmm. And um, this is an older book, but Ben Witherington has a book called Jesus the Sage where he really does a great job of developing that th- that that theme and it's it's pretty eye-opening because we think of jesus more in the prophetic tradition and not so much in the wisdom tradition mm-hmm, that's but there's true. there are a lot of there are a lot of um connections between mm-hmm. the wisdom tradition and jesus and and you know there is a case to be made for the concept of a divine transcendent wisdom in um in the judaism of jesus day mm-hmm. So clearly then the deeds that vindicate wisdom are to be in identified with the deeds of the Messiah mm-hmm. in Matthew 11:2 and so the idea then is that the the lack of response to Jesus is not due to any fault on his part Jesus works you know as listed in Matthew 11:2 mm-hmm. through 6 raising the dead cleansing the lepers healing the sick mm-hmm. these kinds of things have made clear have made clear his identity as the messiah because he's doing the deeds of the messiah right, right. and so this makes clear and, and and again there's a connection between the isaiah here the, you know that there's either allusions or quotations to various passages in isaiah so this makes clear his identity as the messiah the one who makes the promise of god's kingdom a reality through his powerful works through his miracles
0: mm-hmm. that, boy that was interesting I, as you were talking about the wisdom tradition, and just, I'm headed back to that just briefly, just because, um,
1: well, we tend to overlook that part I, we overlook, of the Hebrew Bible. We
0: over we overlook it, absolutely, and yet I think many of us, um, many of us are attracted to it. I think it fits into the context of the broader Western tradition, almost um more solidly for academics than the prophetic tradition
1: well and i think of you know when i think of the wisdom tradition i think of not only proverbs and ecclesiastes but i think of also the psalms because there are a lot of wisdom psalms that talk about the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and Mm -hmm. what is the fear of the lord but it's manifested in in deeds of righteousness and in 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 fulfilling all righteousness right. right that is the one of the themes in matthew's gospel yeah. is fulfilling all righteousness yeah. yeah and so um you know the wisdom tradition is all about truly you know truly living you know in, a, yeah. in, a, in yeah. a righteous way
0: well and those are the kinds of questions that some of your your greek scholars are really spending a lot of time with too as i said so i think this is really an attractive mm-hmm. um space that has not been brought Forward as much
1: it has not it has not i mean it ha- i mean um so uh, the new testament scholarship for the last 30 or 40 years has been looking into this mm-hmm. but i don't know that there is much um um beyond that you know mm-hmm. i think this is a relatively recent development in new testament studies right
0: right mm-hmm. well and think if, 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 when i think about how things manifest themselves to from the the scholarship to the actual um the more of us uh, thus are in um, public ministry, mm-hmm. it takes about 30 to 40 years for that to actually show its face into what we're preaching. So yeah. this could be, anyway, in other words, this is a really cool way mm-hmm. to prote- potentially bring some really modern thought into your mm-hmm. sermons. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah so then after pronouncing woes on the cities of galilee for their lack of response to his miracles among them jesus moves on to a prayer praise to god for those who did respond to his words and deeds at that time jesus said i thank you father lord of heaven and earth because you've hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants yes father for such was your gracious will and that's matthew eleven twenty-five mm-hmm. through 26 now here again we're back to the part of Matthew and Luke where the content of Jesus' prayer is almost completely word for word the same in the Greek text. So you know it's that combination it's that combination of agreement and difference that is really the core, the core mm-hmm. of the synoptic problem and trying to wrestle with figuring out you know how did this happen and so just you know, it was just above that we saw that there was agreement in substance but difference in wording and here we're back to almost word for word you know complete verbatim agreement mm, in the Greek mm-hmm, text mm-hmm. So, the content then of this, or the idea that is that those who have not responded to Jesus' ministry of word and deed failed to do so because they were wise in their own eyes. And this kind of also is a wisdom theme from the Hebrew Bible, right? Yes, there it is. Um, um, And um, God's, you know, the idea is here that God's revelation of, of. himself God's revelation of who Jesus is comes only to those who prepared themselves to receive it to those who are pure in heart and poor in spirit to to quote from the Beatitudes Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. so for that reason it's only to infants Jesus says and I'm reminded of the little ones we saw in yes. the last chapter, right? Even yes. If you give a cup, a cup, of, cup cold of cold water, water mm-hmm. to, to one of these little ones because they're a disciple, right? Mm-hmm. So it's only to infants or to those who we might say are truly meek and humble that the presence of the kingdom of God in Jesus' words and deeds is revealed by God. Mm-hmm. Basically, God is the one who's doing the revealing. Yeah. But the, the content of the revelation is that that you God, know, the kingdom of God is truly present in Jesus' words and deeds.
0: Mm. And so um, then, then moving on, what, what what happens next here? This well, is kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, so the next statement is one that we're familiar with. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him in Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27. Mm-hmm. But this statement has been viewed by many in New Testament studies as a, as a kind of Johannine thunderbolt <laughs> that has struck in the midst of the synoptic gospel mm-hmm. tradition, and that goes back to a, a New Testament scholar named Carl von Haase. But, um, uh, the, the, and we note, I mean, we should note, you know, um, um, earlier the, the prayer was, I thank you, Father, lord of heaven and earth because you have hidden these things it's second person address right Mm -hmm. now in this verse it's my father the son the father it shifts to third person right Mm -hmm. and so that's that's something we shouldn't miss
0: yeah oh yes yes
1: and so um something's going on here clearly yeah (laughs) And I would say this, that while the statement does resonate with expressions of Johannine Christology, we've seen that, you know, that, Mm -hmm. that, that Jesus in John's gospel, one of the main themes is that he is, he, he is the one sent by God and, and he only does what he sees the father doing and Mm -hmm. he only says what he hears the father saying. And so there's this kind of connection there. Um, um. when set against the backdrop of the wisdom tradition, the idea that somehow this was imported from John's gospel, I think is unnecessary. Because when we think of this wisdom tradition, mm-hmm. so, so Davies and Allison make this observation, and I'm quoting here. Only the Father knows the Son, just as only God knows wisdom.
0: Oh. And you can find this
1: in various uh-huh. wisdom passages, yes, right? Yes, yes. Only the Son knows the Father, just as only wisdom knows God. Again, that's from the wisdom tradition. Jesus makes known hidden revelation, just as wisdom reveals divine secrets. And if Jesus invites others to take up His yoke and find rest, wisdom issues precisely the same call, right? Take my yoke upon yeah, you, right? Yeah. And so um, here we find this wisdom Christology, perhaps the most most prominent. Yeah. And and and, and I th- again, I think if we take that wisdom background. As the back as the as the underpinning or the foundation for this statement in Matthew's gospel, then um, there's no need to think of this as somehow, um, you know, Johannine theology has has crept its way into the Synoptic mm-hmm. tradition. But rather, in fact, um, Davies and Allison conclude that. Um, uh, the, that idea that somehow Johannine Christology was imported here in all likelihood stands the truth on its head because right. they think this passage was probably one of the vital seeds from which Johannine theology yeah, there you go. took root.
0: And that makes more sense. Yeah, I um, think so. Wow, that's, um, that's outstanding. I, I keep I keep wondering, you know, Matthew making his notes as he's crafting this together what his awareness is, though, versus a prophetic, versus a wisdom tradition. Mm-hmm. I mean, does he have, he, he might, he, he actually might, and in in a way, maybe not in the same language there, but he is going to be aware of, as I said, the, he's going to be aware of all the scriptures, he's going to be aware of the prophetic tradition that is clearly handed down orally, but he's also going to be familiar with the kinds of questions that that Greco-Roman culture is going to be asking, which is closer to the wisdom tradition, I think.
1: I mean, you know, there's overlap in the Hebrew Bible, right? Because mm-hmm. because the wisdom tradition is about um, living out righteousness in practical ways, right? right? True righteousness, right. not not. Any kind of self righteousness or any pretentious righteousness, right. but true what? righteousness that b- comes from um, uh, an authentic relationship with God. That right. you know, it's called the fear of the Lord in the wisdom tradition. It's not meant right. to be cowering. It's meant to be uh, the proper um, respect and reverence due to right. God. Right. Right. So, and 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 the overlap with the prophets is, of course, the prophets are concerned about justice and they're right. concerned about faith fidelity to the covenant. Which, right, which right. I think both of those. Right kind of dovetail with the righteousness theme
0: in, 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 in
1: the pro, in the in the in the wisdom tradition so i think there is some overlap um yeah whether or not matthew would have distinguished between the wisdom tradition and the hebrew bible and the prophetic tradition i don't i don't know that there would have been that clear of a distinction I, but i think that right i, I think he would have been familiar with the with
0: with the scriptures but it's yeah and, and it's it's the lens and sometimes we don't even think uh we talk about the lens but you know the the, the overall lens that that matthew's coming about with mm-hmm. with his own with his own uh, own interpretation yeah. of jesus's life yeah. and and the scriptures that are coming to him and it's very much so, influenced
1: by the scriptures that are coming to him, absolutely yeah.
0: and yet you know clearly he's pulling in oh gosh this whole wisdom tradition mm-hmm. which yeah we haven't really seen it my question is you know is 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 this because his audience was more in tune with the wisdom tradition than maybe others? Or, or as I said, the other thing going through my mind is I find the wisdom tradition to have more parallels in some of the, the Greco-Roman material. Mm. Is it because of that?
1: I, I think it's more the connection with the Hebrew Bible. I, I do. I
0: think that's, that would make sense, yeah. at least with our classical understanding of I, Matthew. I mean,
1: we've seen, we've seen so for, for example, we've seen how, I mean, so anybody anybody with a greek new testament can see the extensive influence of hebrew bible and septuagint quotations mm-hmm. and allusions because they're listed in, in either the side notes right. or you know or they're they're printed in special either bold print or italics right so it's i mean and this is throughout the new testament right. you know for i think for example revelation is just overflowing with allusions to the Hebrew right. Bible, and, and and most people don't realize that, um, right. and 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 the same thing is true with with the letters. You know, uh, when Paul wants to make a point, he oftentimes quotes from the Hebrew Bible, and so I, I, I think I would I would say, you know, this reflects Matthew's unique perspective on the hebrew bible mm-hmm. luke doesn't bring it in as much I and mean, you know wisdom is vindicated right, by right. her children right it's right. a little bit different right, right? So, and luke doesn't bring it in as much but but we saw before that luke clearly is concerned with with showing jesus as 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 fulfilling the righteous life uh filling right. the torah you know and he's doing the things that a, that, a, that a righteous right. jewish person would do right uh, so I think I think what we're seeing here is Matthew's um, uh, sort of uh, perspective on the Hebrew Bible reflected in the way he yeah. is portraying Jesus.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: And and maybe we've got um, maybe we've got probably I, I think I would say maybe we've got a fuller. Um, um, lens from um, a broader perspective of the Hebrew Bible with Matthew than than we do with the other gospel writers.
0: I, well, but, and that would impact. That's actually, I, I, yes, that's a good statement. And I think that's, um, I think that's helpful, right? I think that's um, when we think about who Matthew is, mm-hmm. but it also then is giving us a slightly, for us to read it, a slightly different. Mm-hmm perspective as well
1: yeah well and we we should remember that Matthew's community was one that was either in the process of separating from the synagogue or right. had just recently separated well, from the yeah, synagogue absolutely. And so they they would have been they would have had a similar connection with the Hebrew Bible yep. I think yep. yeah we should say I, I should say the parallel here with Luke is not precise so and 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 that's something we should consider but when taken with the shift from second person address to third person address it's likely that Matthew eleven twenty seven 27 was combined with Jesus' prayer praise, perhaps by Q, to further explain the rationale behind the claims that Jesus' words and deeds constitute the true revelation of God's salvation. And again, the reason why... I'm suggesting Q here and not Matthew is because there is a parallel with with Mm -hmm. Luke, but it's not precise, and so we, you know, it's not one of those places where they have word for word agreement again. So we're back out of, you know, we go we go in and out of that word for word agreement, and that's Mm -hmm. kind of the that's that's what makes it challenging to try to figure out what's going on Mm -hmm. here.
0: Yeah. So how does this conclude here? We're hitting the end of our.
1: Well, the conclusion of the gospel lesson then extends the invitation to those who have ears to hear, so to speak. Uh, Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, it's a beautiful passage, probably one of our favorite passages Mm -hmm. from Matthew. Mm The burdens here likely refer to the obligations imposed by the Jewish religious Mm -hmm. leaders. We find that later in Matthew 23, where Jesus is pronouncing woes on the Pharisees and talks about tying up burdens that are too heavy to carry for people, Mm -hmm. and yet you don't lift a finger to help. The rest that Jesus offers instead of the burdens is the peace or shalom that comes from the fulfillment of all righteousness on the part of those who align their lives with God's kingdom, and Mm -hmm. thus, as a result, experience a true Sabbath rest. Right. And so this rest is connected with the concept of Sabbath, in, mm-hmm. I think, and that's something that's important as well. But only those who are truly meek and humble, the infants or the little ones that we've already encountered mm-hmm. in Matthew's gospel may learn from Jesus because he himself was or is meek and humble in heart. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things we should note is that um, this passage is only found in Matthew's gospel. Mm-hmm. There is no parallel to this anywhere in the gospel tradition and so that fact along with the correlation between matthew's theology and the ideas uh, in this beautiful uh, passage um, raised legitimate questions about whether this was was this spoken by the historical jesus was it a declaration of the christian prophet in the name of the risen lord or was it the result of the theological reflection of matthew and or his mm. community because it's a it this part is a unique
0: Interesting. State. this
1: is this is only found right, in Matthew, right? Right. Hmm.
0: Yeah. And just based on, yeah, that. Uh, of course, I personally just want to assume Jesus said, this. of course, of course, of course. <laughs> but but when it's not in the others, and it's such an amazing statement, mm-hmm. it does make it does give you pause to ask if it's something.
1: Well, else. and then that that's the crux of the problem of the origin of the gospels is when you have such clear agreement, and then you have a powerful statement like this that's only in one of them. You, you try to make sense of how, how did that happen, you know, Right, and, um, I, you know, so, and here's my thing, here's the way I, my take on this is I'm okay if this is a declaration of a Christian prophet in the name of the risen yeah, Lord. Absolutely. I'm also okay if this is, um, the result of the theological reflection of Matthew and or his community, because um again it's our it's our expectations with the gospels do we expect them to be encyclopedia articles that mm-hmm. give us right. you know all the bi- biographical details and only the facts or are we are are we seeing these as proclamation of gospel and as such as interpretations of Jesus mm-hmm. and right. so the the question is not i think did Jesus say everything that was attributed to him in this mm-hmm. gospel or in the other gospels the question is when we take what we know Jesus said you know we can right. we can pretty much demonstrate yeah. the historical Jesus right. must have said right. this um, is it coherent is there a coherency between this statement and the historical Jesus and you know obviously i mean as I, as i said i mean basically Matthew is summarizing a lot of the themes of his gospel in this yeah, passage.
0: Absolutely. So it might make sense that this is this, this kind of summary, right? This is beautiful. And, and,
1: and, and, you know, does that make it any less authentic? Does that make it any less um, true of a f- reflection of who Jesus was? Well, from Matthew's perspective, this is a true reflection of who Jesus right. was, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we get hung up on whether or not Jesus actually said it. I don't think they did in that day. And I think for, for them, if a Christian prophet spoke it in the name of the risen Lord, or if this is, if this is Matthew's, Mm -hmm. can we say inspired theological reflection, Mm -hmm. you know, um, then can we, you know, can our, is our, is our, is our conception of biblical authorities, our conception of biblical authenticity, um, big enough to allow us to say, you know, this is the voice of Jesus, even if it's not the actual words of Jesus.
0: Yeah.
1: And I, I, I would say, yes, I, I, yes I'm, I, I would, I would say yes. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, while at first glance, these two selections that were assigned for this week might seem unrelated, mm-hmm. you know, as, as they did, I'm sure when you first looked at them, right. they both address the issue of the response to Jesus authoritative words and powerful deeds. And while many, could not or would not receive them, there were those who possessed the humility of spirit and mind to recognize their own spiritual need. They were the poor in spirit, Mm -hmm. as we saw in the Beatitudes. And to them, Jesus revealed the kingdom of God and offered them the gift of rest.
0: Wow, thank you. That's very helpful.
1: Thanks. Mm Hi, friends. We're back, and we're going to uh, go with Christy C. see um, what she found with Calvin, and uh, no surprises here. We're going <laughs> to find that his theological perspective shaped his interpretation of the passage. Oh,
0: that is what we have been <laughs> learning. So, yes, I, it, this is a little bit shorter analysis today, but... Um, you know, for the Reformers as a whole, this passage is really about the identity of Jesus. Um, the first theme is that Jesus came to spread the good news. And Calvin makes quite a contrast between John, who came with a baptism of repentance, um, which is not specifically about the good news, but about preparing for that time. And the Reformers thus use this first part of this passage to compare and contrast John the Baptist with, and Christ.
1: You know, I, I want to mention here, I would agree with that. I think that's part of what's going on behind our mm-hmm. passage is that John yeah. John had some expectations about Jesus, that Jesus wasn't fulfilling, mm-hmm. specifically that he was going to have this sort of prophetic call mm-hmm. to repentance and, and warning of judgment. He was going to follow in that mm-hmm. line. Exactly. And Jesus didn't do that. But man Matthew's gospel, Matthew kind of wrestles with that, as mm-hmm. I've mentioned before, because in Matthew's gospel, you know, what John preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand is word for word the same as what Jesus comes preaching in his right. public ministry repent for the kingdom of God is at heaven is at hand and and I think, even for the statement that we have here with John questioning Jesus, I think Matthew is wrestling with the contrast between John the Baptist mm-hmm. and Jesus and I I've said before, I think, at the outset of our our discussion of Year A, and when we get to some of the um, parables at the end of of Luke Matthew that look forward to right. sort of an end time scenario, I think Matthew reads in that sort of judgment theology of John the Baptist, that apocalyptic that that apocalyptic judgment theology that influenced John the Baptist into Jesus yeah. myself.
0: I- I can see that. And, yeah. and and
1: so I found it interesting that Calvin made that distinction in dealing with Matthew, this particular passage in Matthew, because in, in Matthew's, and again, of course, we've mentioned, Calvin's not reading the Gospels as uh, like Matthew versus Mark and Luke. Calvin's reading it as not a as harmony. Not as much, yeah. not as
0: much. Although when there are things that are very... <laughs> It's almost always about harmonizing, but when he can't harmonize, mm-hmm. then he'll step back and he'll say, "But Matthew, mm-hmm. you know, took this perspective." So he is making some, but anyway, some some steps towards um, sure, uh, recognizing a difference in them. I guess it's um.
1: Well, and you, I would agree three, with that. I would agree that there was a difference between
0: them. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love Calvin's allusion to the song. The idea that John's song was sad and heavy, but the Lord's song was pleasant. Yeah. Within the part of comparing and contrasting is how they present themselves to the people. For John, according to Calvin, he is the perfect example of a holy man within the context of the day. So John came neither eating nor drinking. He was a true ascetic mm-hmm. and did not indulge in the luxuries of life. I mean, people would have looked at him and said, oh yes, this is a true holy right. man. Right. Um, so in this appearance of john thus was a way for him to appeal to the most righteous to the most pious who would who would um, understand this austerity but jesus on the other hand would eat and drink he would enmesh himself in the things that are human for calvin jesus even would quote take on a variety of roles in order to reach the unbelievers if, again, quote, if he adapted and transformed himself to their characters, he could turn them.
1: It reminds me of Paul saying, I become all things to all people so that by all means I might win some. I wonder if he had that in mind.
0: I wonder if he did. He didn't say that here, mm-hmm. but um, an interesting... An interesting development. Now, the funny part of this is that Calvin does remind us that this is not an excuse for us to (laughs) indulge in the delights. On the other hand, we do not want to get into the idea that we reach some type of spiritual perfection through physical means. In other words, he managed to combine all the heresies into (laughs) one little statement. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. It's funny because, you know, this is part of Ben Witherington's uh, point is that one of the facets of the wisdom tradition that Jesus reflects in his ministry is this sort of embracing of creation and in love of life, mm-hmm. joie de vivre, you know, yep. and embracing of all the good things in life that are a part of right. God's good creation. Right. Right? And and, and and it sounds like Calvin can't handle that. <laughs>
0: well, yes and no. I mean, because he does, re- you know, he does, yes, but he does reflect that Jesus does eat and drink, that he mm-hmm. is a person, whereas, you know, the ascetic world of the Roman Catholics, you know, this idea mm-hmm. that that scourging the flesh is mm-hmm. the best way to right. holiness, he's also critical of that. So Calvin's, t- <laughs> Calvin's trying not to uh, get in trouble with any of the, Sure. heretical positions, right?
1: Well, it sounds like though he's more he, it sounds like he's more comfortable with the asceticism of John than he is with the uh, life affirming uh, celebration of Jesus. I mean, Jesus, yeah. you know, in John's well, gospel Jesus I mean, that Jesus,
0: makes sense too when you think about the tradition that comes out of like Geneva, right? right? So right. there's this it's, expectation There's more
1: austerity.
0: More austerity. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I, I, you know, we, we've talked about how Jesus' first miracle in John's gospel is converting a huge right. quantity of water into well, fine wine. Right, right. <laughs> I don't think Calvin would, would, would appreciate probably that not, much. <laughs> probably
0: not. So perhaps one of the more interesting ex- exegetical notes by Calvin is over the phrase, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. And... I actually really love the careful work that Calvin has done here. And he he goes into it in in more depth because he gives a a glimpse of his own exegetical practice. So first, he tells us that many interpreters have different approaches to the passage. Um, So in other words, he's looking at what other people before him have said. Mm -hmm. And so he offers these examples first, that wisdom was absolved by the Jews because they actually claimed the title of wisdom for themselves. Mm. So in choosing what was the opposite of true wisdom, they no longer recognized it for what it was. Mm. He also um, noted that that they interpret this ironically. There were some that interpreted the passage ironically as if they were not actually sons of wisdom at all. Mm. And then there are those that claim that wisdom is alienated from her children. Mm. And then another rendering that wisdom remains entire, that it does not lose its perfection. Um, The Jews, especially the scribes, boasted of this wisdom and yet trampled it even to Christ's crucifixion. Mm. So what I'm pointing out here is he's trying to make sense of all these different interpretations. But then he finally says, but this is what I think it says. And he claims that there are genuine children and illegitimate children who, quote, claim an empty title without cause. (laughs) In other words, despite the research and exegesis, his interpretation rings of yeah. predestination. Yeah, yeah. So you can see he's he's trying to kind of refute these other positions, and then he comes into it with this kind of expected lens. Sure. And and I think it's I think it's this lens because we know he has many places where he actually is making other statements, but when right. the, when the, we get to the very crux of the center of his um of his theology this predestination comes in Mm -hmm. that's the lens he's coming at right right um sovereignty of god
1: right i mean that's
0: that's really more even more
1: well i mean yeah that's that's the foundation for his 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 theology and the foundation for his his um his thinking about predestination
0: exactly so then we move to the speech of jesus and it was a means to praise the work that would come through those called out of their humility instead of their righteousness And so Calvin juxtaposes the perfection of the kingdom of God, sorry, Jesus, according to Calvin, (laughs) juxtaposes the perfection of the kingdom of God with the lowliness of those who are called. Um, Yet he is amazed that God calls those from the humble masses rather than the proud and the rich. Mm. So again, Calvin reads through the eyes of predestination, where it it is only on the will of God that some will understand the gospel and some will not.
1: Yeah, and I find that um, I find that um, I, you know, I, I think I think Calvin's um, commitment to God's sovereignty has painted him into that corner because I I you know yeah there there is you know I will I will bless whom I will bless and I will you know there's that kind of thing right in in in, in scripture but it just to me the, the whole idea that that god wills that some will not understand the gospel yeah. that
0: well and here's the whole thing when i read this i'm like so if there's some and they're automatically saved there's no reason to do any of this which he does mm-hmm. not agree with and then mm-hmm. he has to try to backtrack to to mm-hmm. describe why you still need to be proclaiming scripture so it it really doesn't quite work
1: yeah to me it sounds like double predestination is a is a corner he's painted himself into right because of his you know he he he, at the end of the day everything has to be attributed to the sovereignty of god
0: but and but i think there's also this realistic position and that, that, that luther dealt with as well is gosh if people are hearing the news good news and it's the truth and i mean big t truth and Obviously, they're going to be followers, and then he finds these people that mm-hmm. aren't. He finds mm-hmm. these people that don't respond. And how do they make sense? They can't really make right. sense. It, if it's irresistible, right? if grace truly is irresistible, how are people resisting it? And the only, only conclusion is, well, they must not have been able to hear it. Yeah. So yeah. it's a, it's mm. a conundrum, and I think we could find ourselves in that own sure. Sp- space. Sure. So, this, but. Um, be one of the places that we can see um, Calvin's emphasis on on predestination, for he can't explain how someone turn away from God if God's love is irresistible. It is also in this segment that he emphasizes the sovereignty of God because God could will that all would turn to God. (laughs) So obviously, you know.
1: Well, I think I would go beyond Beyond that, and say God does will that all would turn to God, because I mean, there's there's a passage in First Timothy chapter two where he says God desires for all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of God. Yeah, and
0: sometimes Calvin goes there, but other times he's like, but again, in his mind is because some people aren't so right. They obviously God hasn't turned them towards. I I, there's there's problems. We're seeing problems, so I'm pointing it out. Because we've seen in other places that he emphasizes a person's free will to resist God, so obviously in studying Calvin, the predominant view of his theology is the one espoused here—double predestination and the sovereignty of God. But there are other themes in his theology, um, and that that are also laced throughout. So clearly, I I feel like he's—I've said this before—that he doesn't quite solve his problem.
1: Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I think. From my reading, I think Bart solves his problem a little bit better. Not initially, but you know, as I said um, um, recently, you know, it took Bart a while to get there. But I think Bart came to the to the point where he could see that God's will for the salvation of all humanity can be accomplished ultimately, even if not in this life. Right. And I think that's that was maybe that was the that was the obstacle. That's been the obstacle for so many people to see that is that well, if you're going to be saved, you have to be saved in this life.
0: Right. And if you don't right.
1: respond in this life, then you're not then right. you have no hope for the future. Right. But I think with with you know, Bart moved to the point where he recognized that there was a possibility that hey, people might respond. Right. Face-to-face with with Christ. And
0: one of the things that goes in my mind, personally, with this is, you know, we always look at the world in terms of our timeline. Mm -hmm. But when people are in their last moments, which could, in God's time, be quite vast we don't really know what goes on mm-hmm. in those time, in those mm-hmm. moments we're not in that conversation right, you right. know as people are, are are leaving their life here yeah. and i always wonder you know if there's a lot of redemption that goes on then and sure. I, i'm sure there i, I think, think, there think there could there be yeah.
1: i i go back to i i just go back to the passage in philippians 2 where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess Absolutely. that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father a lot of people who who buy into double predestination will say well the the ones who aren't saved will will be forced to do this because you know that's god's sovereignty at work and they have to do it even though they won't want to but it's to the glory of god yeah how do you have the glory of god coming from 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 you know uh, causing these people to to confess something that they don't really believe in to me it's a worship scene right
0: well, to me, and it, it, there's there, there's that irresistible grace that comes in, mm-hmm. and I, I think, to me, that's part of, of what our souls are longing for. Even yeah. if we're able yeah. to resist it, you know, we're longing for acceptance. We're longing for love. We're longing for that. That's been Exemplified through the grace of, of God. Well, and I've
1: said it this way, you know. Yeah, I think we can resist God's grace and God's love in this life, but come when you come face to face with yeah. with that unconditional yeah. love and yeah. that grace, it's hard for me to imagine right. even anybody, even the hardest heart, not softening and and right. saying yes, Lord. It doesn't you make know, sense. Thank right? you, it, Lord. It, yeah,
0: you're right. It yeah. doesn't make sense to me either. So yeah. uh, we're on the same page there. Um,
1: but I think that yeah. was I think that whole thing of it has to be a response in this life. Is what kind of help paint has helped paint a lot of people into that corner of double predestination? I,
0: I agree, I agree. And it, it provides an explanation for I mm-hmm. why people aren't here. Mm-hmm. But to me, that also could set itself up for being lazy. Well, mm-hmm. why bother? You know, why bother? Um, and I don't think that's ultimately where Jesus would want us I, to be. I believe it
1: was the I believe it was the reformed um, uh, the RCA or the Dutch Reformed theologian um, uh, Burkauer, who did a did a, a book on Bart's theology and called it the Triumph of God's Will or yeah. something like, yeah, a saving will or something about. like mm-hmm, that. And mm-hmm. and you know that's that's something that I have come to embrace yeah. is the ultimate triumph the ultimate of triumph. God's yeah. will that all would turn to him and be saved. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to move on with Calvin. Um, he then goes on to how wisdom can be corrupting to salvation.
1: And you, you mean human wisdom.
0: This here, I think he means human wisdom. And and it's very, what's very interesting is he's kind of floating in and out. Um, and so it's a little hard to follow, but it's a pretty deep concept. So would not wisdom and salvation be the same? Um, but here he explains that wisdom can actually be a hindrance to seeing the light of God.
1: Yeah. I think he must be talking about human wisdom. Well,
0: here. And th- that's, that's well, I
1: can't see, I can't see divine wisdom because that, that's the whole point is it, that, it, is exactly. that Jesus embodies that divine wisdom exactly. and brings the salvation of those who will hear. I respond. know yeah.
0: exactly. So this is because non believers can corrupt wisdom.
1: Yeah. So right? Worldly, worldly, right. Perspective, right.
0: Yeah. Um, He makes sure to remind us that those who are not chosen are not necessarily without physical goods, but only that the mysteries of God are hidden from them. Mm -hmm. So, wisdom. Wisdom is thus a gift from God, but not necessarily paired in faith. In other words, Mm. no one can attain faith by intelligence. But only through the elimination of the spirit. Yeah, this
1: is confusing mm-hmm. because it sounds like he wants to have it both ways. He yeah. wants to have wisdom be a good thing and a bad thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's trying to divide. He's trying to suggest that wisdom can be um, separated from God. So he's kind mm-hmm. of kind of trying to take wisdom as as wisdom as being. Of God to being wisdom that's something we can claim like a separate Mm -hmm. thing and I it it doesn't quite fit with me and so I think he's I think he's conflating human wisdom and I think this is fair in his part you know how we would understand wisdom with divine wisdom that those would be in connection with each other
1: well and And because they're
0: not in connection with each other he's suggesting um that that is a is a line drawn in the sand with salvation?
1: I think. I think, though, from the in this passage and in the wisdom Christology and the wisdom themes in the Bible, right. you know, you do have this idea of the intelligence of the of the of the of those who are learned as being an obstacle to right. faith, right? Right. But, but true wisdom, right. Is cannot be uh, other than right. than in concert with God's will. I agree, in, so, and, that's, Bible, and that's the you know? question and, I asked. And that's up the here. idea. That's the idea yeah. about wisdom Christology. You know, right. if Jesus is embodying this true wisdom. So, yeah. and
0: I don't know, I don't know what's influencing Calvin hmm. here, but it is one of those places where I I can't help if it's some of the humanist tradition that's mm-hmm. coming in mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. impacting his desire to potentially remove wisdom. From being, um, being coherent with Christ, like we just talked about this this wisdom Christology, right. that you know, it be this could be a really fun passage to pull out and really dig into Calvin's background. Well,
1: I mean, he's in that early modern era where learning is awakening, and mm-hmm. and and so I mean, he's got to have some sort of positive appreciation for that. But then he's also in this faith space where he realizes that there are some people, for all their learning, who cannot seem to believe, and so right. he's got that quandary exactly. as well. Exactly, yeah. yeah.
0: So finally, Calvin reminds us that faith in Christ is the only way that we are assured of our salvation. So I think for Calvin, there is this undeniable loop, at least here, that a sovereign God must have chosen who will respond in faith to the gospel, having wisdom or not. <laughs> See, again, that's...
1: Mm-hmm. Wow.
0: So the freedom here is in the ability to respond to the irresistible grace That is that we must hear the gospel in order to respond, but if we are not preordained to respond, we will not respond to the word. Mm -hmm. So if we are hidden from the gospel, then we can't respond in faith if we are selected to do so. So this is how he justifies the need for continuing to spread the gospel mm. because there may be someone I find this interesting, maybe somebody who is preordained to hear, it, but to respond to it. But if they don't hear it, they can't respond, uh. which to me lends the question of, so are they actually damned because <laughs> they weren't impacted with the word? Right. I see, I see big problems here. Yeah. So Now, this does not mean that we are idle in spreading the gospel or even making judgments ourselves. Our task is to be present as disciples of Christ so that others may hear it and have the opportunity to respond. Yeah. Um, So, we get a lot of Calvin's classical theology here that has been the core of what we memorize about Calvin's teaching. You know, that's when you go to the Calvin believed in this and this and this and this, your Calvinism concepts. I would like to reiterate again, though, that there is not space here for believers to act as judges to those who don't believe. That is one thing he said I think is really important, and instead is a greater emphasis on the spread of the word so that people that can hear the word also very important Mm -hmm. but there is this underlying understanding in calvin that not everyone will respond to it
1: yeah and i think i would i would be i would i would have no problem with the whole idea you know of saying yeah god's god's grace is powerful and transforming and and when we when we open our hearts to it you know it it changes everything but there are some. Not everyone will respond to it in this life. In this life, that's <laughs> the thing
0: he wasn't. Yeah, articulating at least. Right. Earlier,
1: so. Right. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Christy. Thank
0: you. Hi, we're back, and we had a few questions today that we were brought about and uh, talked about during our break. And uh, I guess one of the first things that's been on my heart is really when we're presenting material for a sermon, Um, and particularly on, for example, that last statement of the most beautiful words in the Bible, and they're words of Jesus, and they're highlighted red in our, you know, red-letter Bibles, and should we just presented as coming from Jesus? Uh, Does it make sense to present some of these things as coming through the lens of Matthew? And how do you do this in a balanced way? You don't want to assume you have a dumb congregation. On the other hand, I think you want them coming out feeling confident in um, the gospel lesson for the day, if that's what you're preaching on. So I don't know what, I I guess, and this comes from, I've heard pastors and they won't talk about this kind of nuance of of the scriptures and really just talk about you know jesus within that context of like the passage we did yeah um but on the other hand um maybe that's not being really fair to the depth of the scripture
1: well and you know this is a problem that's been around for a while uh james smart um wrote a book back in the 60s, I believe it was, called The Strange Silence of the Bible in the Church. And his main premise was that preachers ought to be talking about all these things that we're talking about in our podcast, about the origins of the Gospels mm-hmm. and some of the historical and critical questions. Um, <clears throat> I've never felt that it was all that helpful to go that deeply into I, it.
0: Well, I don't know that people know the scriptures well enough yeah. to even have a place to start there. Yeah. On the other hand, I hate to treat them like they're dumb. I,
1: I So what I, what I do, you know, I kind of, I, I'm kind of interchangeable. So there are times when I can say Jesus, or there are there times when I can say Matthew, or there are there times when I could say both? I can go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um I actually I actually brought some of this into my sermon this last Sunday because we were talking about the first part of the missionary discourse mm-hmm. and as we talked about in our podcast Matthew is really kind of pulling this discourse together right right and it reflects Matthew's understanding and so I what I did was I I talked a little bit about that and I I I I, sh- I gave them the examples from the from the mm-hmm. verses like in in matthew um it's you know what you hear in the in the in the dark i say in the light and what you hear whispered shout from the housetops in luke it's you know anything that you whisper will be will be spoken out loud and you know it's it's a totally different settings right and so using using bible verses to help them see you know how the same thing jesus said is used differently Um, uh, so I, I did go there to try to help them see that Matthew was, was kind of shaping this perspective on, on, on the calling of the 12 is for everybody. Right. But, you know, I used the analogy of just saying, look, you know... Matthew and and the other gospel writers were using Jesus words just like we use scripture. Right. Just like any right. preacher would take a passage of scripture and try to make exactly. it relevant
0: exactly. for
1: their day. Well, and, and I think that was a I think that's a that's a handle that people can grasp. Yeah. I wouldn't want to go much further than that. I don't know that they would be able to handle the idea of, well, Jesus might not have actually said this. Right. This right. might have been well, a declaration here, of a Christian prophet. But here
0: you have Matthew's discourses, which are supposedly, you know, and at least people coming to it, Jesus, you know, they're all red letters, right? Jesus did this discourse. And I, yet, we know we didn't probably do the discourse that way at all.
1: I hate so, red letter editions. That's one of my pet peeves because if you think about it, um, um, you know, technically speaking, Jesus didn't write any of these words. All exactly. of these words come Good from point. the early church. Exactly. Right.
0: Yeah. But even then, you're getting a sense of, I, <laughs> are, are, are we presenting, uh, every time we we go through a, a year liturgical year, are we presenting a different Jesus because we're pre- presenting mm-hmm. um, what he said verbatim? Like you just said, this problem with this red letter. On the other hand, um, To what extent do you come in and talk, like you are just talking about, talk about all these nuances, and I I can't even decide from year to year really what's the best way to approach it necessarily. Well,
1: it's like I said, I mean, I kind of use Jesus and Matthew, or Jesus and Mark, or Jesus and Mm -hmm. Luke, or Jesus and John interchangeably, but I do bring in the insights from the study of each of the gospel writers. right. And, and I don't think that's being misleading. You know, James Smart would say that I'm being disingenuous because I'm, I'm not spilling all the guts of all these you're things not that saying I've saying all the details. Right.
0: Which that gets people into the weeds more, you know, I, I remember agree. the lecture of don't bring your homework to the pulpit.
1: Exactly. So
0: where is that line, you yeah. know? And,
1: and, and so for me, the reason I think the, I think, You know, I'm presenting, so in my mind, I'm presenting Matthew's version of Jesus, Matthew's interpretation of Jesus, Mark's interpretation of Jesus, Luke's interpretation of Jesus, John's interpretation of Jesus. I don't say that out loud. I say, you know, like I said, when I'm preaching from Matthew, I can use Jesus and Matthew somewhat interchangeably. And I'm okay with that because of that principle that I I was articulating at the end of my segment, you know. The question is not, in my mind— Are these the actual words of Jesus? The question in my mind is, is this true to um, who Jesus was and what Jesus Mm -hmm, taught? mm -hmm. And I think from Matthew's perspective, you know, come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, you know, is absolutely true. To right. who Jesus was and what he was about, Absolutely. right? Yeah, no question about that. And so, and and to me, I find not only coherence. Between that and Matthew's Gospel, of course, since right. it's kind of a summary of Matthew's Gospel, right. but I, I mean, I find that co- co- the I find their coherence of, with the larger picture. Right, of Jesus, that's, that's, Right. That's
0: that fits in that larger space yeah. of, of Scripture. So I'm so it's I mean, the, it's
1: it's it's so for me, it's not the question is not did Jesus actually say the words? The question is, right. is this true to right. my to 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 Matthew's understanding of Jesus? Is this true right. to to the Gospel, the way Jesus is presented in the Gospels? Right. Is this true to the understanding of, the gospel of Jesus in the New Testament? is this true to my i guess what i would consider to be the best theological understanding right. of Jesus
0: well so i just got a question the other week or, or a comment from somebody that said oh my goodness my 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 son goes to this church i just loved he pulled out a scripture and he just starts this bible study and i'm thinking if you're if you're doing a word by word bible study mm. in that sense then you really probably aren't spending the time to do the broader perspective because you're just gonna dig right in and you're gonna say, Oh well Jesus said that and Well, then- this is
1: what it means to me.
0: Yeah, this is what it means.
1: And it's just sort of a yeah. sort of a free association. Right. Yeah.
0: Which to me then and he was like, "Oh, that was that's so meaningful to me when he does that because mm. there's something like the scripture in hand and the truth that comes mm. from the words without the depth analysis, which is very much in our Presbyterian tradition, but I was taken aback by this Presbyterian who said this to me finding that so helpful and wondering well gosh is all this stuff just too academic for what is becoming our increasing, increasingly um, um sc- scripturally illiterate congregations well and
1: i think that is a real that is a real problem um because it's not just scriptural literacy it is where we find meaning in our contemporary human existence. Mm-hmm. And we find meaning from, from things that are not necessarily <laughs> big T truth, right? We mm-hmm. find meaning from things that make us feel good.
0: Right. Well, and look at us looking for my dopamine burst every you know every time you seconds, look at your, look at your my phone at your and my device. Phone, right? <laughs>
1: I mean, but but that's where we are and, and as a people we look for we look for comfort in food, we look for mm-hmm. we look for comfort by staring at a screen. You know, we 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 don't eat healthy food, we don't exercise, we don't do the things that we know we need to do to take care of ourselves and we we take the easy way to find comfort. And I think, I think so what meaningful means is not, wow, this was profound and challenging, but rather, you know, this was in, in, you know, encouraging or comforting or reassuring in some way. And, And so, you know, here's the thing for me, if you know that that kind of content is going to appeal to people, do you just Stick with that so that you draw the people in. That's what a lot of, a lot of churches do,
0: right? Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, exactly. I've been to
1: some of those services where they just take snippets of Scripture Absolutely. and they draw this, this touchy-feely, you know, kind of almost pop psychology, you right. know, very shallow, uh, encouraging, comforting kind of message right. out of it that is not biblical. It's hardly biblical it's at all. Biblical. It's just a yeah. faint
0: exactly. um,
1: echo of biblical, right. biblical teaching. Right. Well, Exactly. I can't go there. I,
0: I can't I, either. I, I don't. I don't. I, want, I don't go there either. I. I had a sermon professor talked about how we don't talk about blood anymore. You know, <laughs> we, But his point was we keep it so light, and we make we really turn our faith mm. into, a, a, a pop culture. You know, ooh, what makes me feel good. Um, so you're right.
1: I, I, I wrestle every week with scripture to try to find a point of contextualization to try to find a point of contact with our current life experience. Mm-hmm. Right. A- and, 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 and so I work hard to take the message and make it contemporary, you know, to, to take the the, right. the, the and, truth and... of the, of the biblical message right. and bring it into the modern context. Right. But I can't, I, c- I can never, I can never just start with some sort of, um, well, let's, let's see, you know, what, what's on people's minds and hearts this year. Right. You know, I can't start with that. I have to start with the biblical message.
0: And that's what, that's what we're taught to do. And, and
1: there are people, um, you know, there are people who will make a case for, you know, you do this practical series and and there are i'm not yeah. saying i'm not saying that you can't be true to the bible if you if you want to preach a practical series that's based on a books st- that you're studying as a church right. or that maybe that's based on a theme right. or whatever and i know there are a lot of people who do that too and there are people in solid theological traditions that do that right. you know they're not these sort of uh, squirrely you know right. mega church kind of um you know kind of um um seeker friendly quote unquote right. orientation but but and and you know i i you can do that and that works is as long as i think you know the 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 message is coming from the biblical text you can start with the say the presenting issue like you know um um how do we deal with death in the modern world, or something like that? Right. Or how do we deal with how do we deal with family life in the modern world? Some people want to start with a practical question like that, but your your answer to the question has to be grounded in the in the biblical text. And, right, and right, the, right. But here's the problem I have with preaching like that all the time: is that your agenda is set by your either your perception of culture. Or whatever, what what's going on? Right. It's kind of faddish.
0: It's fa- and yeah, to me, yeah, it's, I think it's faddish. I'm, yeah.
1: I'm, I, I just uh, the way I'm wired is I want the text to set my agenda.
0: That's exactly, yeah, I, 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 agree, I agree with that, and I think that's helpful, and I, I think that's helpful, and I think, I think this discussion is helpful because it kind of recenters us on maybe what we're called to do is. is I have to word. say
1: though, I do that in the knowledge that you know, I'm surrounded by people who are preaching in this, uh, in these other ways. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And
1: that a lot of the people in my community are more drawn to that other style. They want
0: that style. They want that style. They want that simple. They, they come to church. I I dare say they come to church as an elixir and think about, think Mm -hmm. about the worship that goes along with Mm -hmm. in many cases, right? Mm -hmm. These, I, I, and not that I don't, Sometimes enjoy these songs, and I flipped on to Sandy P- Patty's Sure the other day, her praise medley, and I was just singing in the car, and it was full of energy. But and and that's important in our faith, but it's also important in our faith to this idea of, of sacrificial love. Of um, well, I
1: mean, it's like you said, we have this fundamental calling to be um, to to be ambassadors for Christ. We have this fundamental calling to uh, as as we I think we mentioned a few weeks ago to to uh, I I remember from the King James version rightly divide the word of truth you know yeah uh, from from Timothy I mean we we, we're we're called to be faithful to the message of scripture Mm -hmm. we're called to proclaim the gospel we're called to proclaim uh, to to teach that to what Jesus taught you know we're we're that's that's our fundamental calling and um,
0: well, I, I, what's been on my mind, sorry, I kind of interrupted, but in my mind has been, you know, the, the Bonhoeffer, right? Your, your mm, costly grace mm-hmm, versus cheap grace. Mm-hmm. And that's really what's been on my mind is how many of us have a cheap grace kind of faith.
1: Well, it it, it certainly, I mean, it certainly seems more expedient to um, to preach what people will come to hear. Yeah. Right? Right. As opposed to preaching, preaching what you feel is is you know by conviction. This is the truth that needs to be spoken, mm-hmm. mm. and and so I, I guess for me that's my dilemma, and and I know that that my preaching style, and it, you know this could be a style thing, but I, I know that for me I can't preach a sermon that is going to be driven by you know right. what's the current what's the current question on everybody's mind i for me as a as a biblical preacher and teacher i'm always going to come back to um the scripture right, you know if, right, if right. it's the word of the lord the scripture has to set the agenda for me right right and that and it's a dilemma because people dilemma. people People are not well, drawn to and that, and I don't understand that
0: because they're taking. Well, and I, I'm
1: in the same boat as Calvin and Luther. You well, know, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to put the truth out there, the truth of God's grace out right. there, and 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 it's 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 but, it's this wonderful grace that is for all and free and unconditional, and right. the hope that it will triumph and bring all people to this grace. And people are drawn to. But the other stuff that people right. are saying instead. So what
0: they're doing is they're taking this little bit of Scripture and they're looking at it through a lens of modern society and they're forgetting about the broadest. Th- and, and, and some of them will even go a little bit on outside. They'll even get into the Greek, but they still don't have the depth yeah. of what you do, which is this exegetical tradition that looks at how the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures are impacted. And what I do, which is the historical tradition Mm, that's involved with it as well. That helps us see where the bias in the lens are, that helps us see how we come to it today and to hopefully ward us off against that type of contemporary-eyed only look at scripture that feeds into a certain um, feel good, do what, you know, um, me-ism that is so Mm. prevalent in our culture, you know.
1: Paul says it this way. He says, you know, there is only one foundation you can build on, and that's Jesus Christ. Yeah. And the quality of your works will be tested by fire. He says, and and you know, some build with precious materials like gold, silver, and bronze, and others build build with with materials like wood, hay, and stubble. And and the fire is going to test the the quality of your work and that's something that's stuck with me i i can't build with wood hay and stubble and i don't want to i don't want to point that finger at anybody and say they're building with wood hay and stubble i confess that i really think that but um with some of the with some of the more superficial um messages that are out there Mm -hmm. um i i'm trying to build on i'm trying to build with wood with gold silver and bronze and and you know i'm trying to build I'm trying to build in truths and and foundations and that will last, yeah, that will have that will have a lasting yeah. effect. not that not something and i you know I, I guess I have to say and I'm sacrificing that sort of sense of wanting to draw people in now right. for the long term sake of building in lasting foundations.
0: But are those just fleeting? You know, as you said. So I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a quandary. <laughs> it is a quandary. But thank you for the thoughts on that. I think it will yeah. help a lot of us who, so. who are coming up against that in many different places really think about how we are true to our call. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Christy.
1: That's our podcast for today. If you heard something that was helpful to you, please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends about us.
0: It's our hope and prayer that our time together might bear fruit in your ministry as you build up the body of Christ.
1: We hope you'll tune in next week. And in the meantime, let's keep serving each other as we together listen listen for for the the word.
0: word.